Jesus heals a blind man, provoking a hostile reaction that he regards as spiritual blindness to the things of God. The Holy Gospel according to John, the ninth chapter. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Some of the disciples near him, some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The Gospel of our Lord. Okay. So, there's a lot there. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking you to think about some different genres of writing. Fiction, like a mystery novel, and what gets revealed to whom and when. Last week, history, asking who wrote it, to whom, and why. And today we're thinking about allegory. My 10th grade English teacher was very into assigning us books written in allegory, like The Lord of Flies, which William Golding, the author, said was an attempt to trace the defects of society to the defects of human nature. The moral is that the shape of a society must depend on the ethical nature of the individual and not on any political system, however apparently logical or respectable. And also Animal Farm, which had to do with the capacity for ordinary individuals to continue to believe in a revolution that had been utterly betrayed. Basically, it was a warning against totalitarianism coming at the end of World War II. I'm sure you can think of others. The Bible is, of course, full of allegorical and metaphorical language. Like in Hosea, when God tells the prophet, go! Take for yourself a wife of prostitution and have children of prostitution, for the land commits great prostitution by forsaking the Lord. And later, the children are named things meaning God sows, not pitied, and not my people. It's a rough first chapter. Now, if you've been paying attention to the last couple of weeks, you can maybe probably guess where some of this is now heading regarding today's gospel reading, which, like the last two, is from John. One of the things to know about John is um, there is some conflict. In her book, Beyond Belief, The Secret Gospel of Thomas, Elaine Pagels details in one of her early chapters conflict between the communities that followed John and, the com and those that followed Thomas. Ultimately, if you've you know, flipped through the Bible, you know that the Gospel of John made it into the New Testament, while the Gospel of Thomas was hidden and forgotten about for centuries. 
but Pagel's readers, with this knowledge of that conflict, now get a sense of the politics involved in putting together our biblical canon. The Johannine community, those who followed Jesus in the tradition of what John taught, were at odds with the traditional synagogue, the official Judaism of late first century. And we see this expressed in numerous ways, including John's repeated use of the phrase, the Jews, in which he lumps together all Jewish persons as one regardless of position in hierarchy or not. For example, the disciples, Jewish men themselves, were not hiding in fear of the Jews generally on the evening of Jesus' resurrection. They were hiding in fear of the Jewish or temple authorities, the same authorities who instigated the crowd to shout at Pilate, crucify him. The bulk of today's reading from verse 13 on is a sort of theological explanation for that separation between the traditionalists and the Johannine community. And as part of demonstrating that separation, John's writer caricatures the Pharisees to such an extent, it's easy for us as readers, simply hearing these words, like we do sitting here on Sunday mornings, to get the idea or to assume that the Pharisees are the bad guys. And we forget that they are Jewish, and even that Paul, while he was still being called Saul, was also a Pharisee. So reflecting on some of that, take a moment and just think, how do we ourselves talk about people with whom we are in conflict or feel separation? How maybe do the words of our friends or even our enemies influence what we might think of someone? Again, John's writer portrays the Pharisees here as confused, even about their own religious identity or authority. Like when they continue to disagree about the formerly blind man, so much so that they misunderstand an essential tenet of Jewish life. The testimony of two people establishes truth. And we've definitely have more than two people testifying to the miracle of a blind man seeing. And still, they don't believe, they don't understand. Now, ultimately, by using the metaphor of blindness, John's writer shows how blind the Pharisees are to the truth about Jesus, and they are thus condemned. But this blind sight metaphor is problematic. In its own time and context, the question of who sinned that this man should be born blind links disability with sin, which is just wrong. Sin does not create disability, does not create illness, does not create addiction, does not create any of these things. And also, Jesus' response that the man was born blind so that when he, Jesus, came along, the glory of God could be revealed, says God made the guy blind to make a point about God's own greatness, which seems like kind of a jerk move to me. 
It also puts this man and every other blind person, especially those who weren't going to get the Jesus mud smeared in their eyes, outside of the unconditional love of God. Blindness and darkness, night, these are common scriptural metaphors for disbelief or not understanding. Those who can see or come by the light or come by day, they believe, they understand, they have the truth. Language is a powerful thing, and continuing to equate things like blindness and darkness with sin or badness, while seeing and lightness and represent truth, belief, and goodness, these things cause harm to God's people. How many of you, and this is not a strictly rhetorical question, so raise your hand if it applies, how many of you believe that we are each made in the image of God, bearing divine likeness into the world? Okay, good. You guys were quicker raising your hands. This neighbor and stranger, friend and enemy alike, we are made, created in God's image, and we bear divine likeness into the world. And if we truly believe that, then our blind neighbor who is born blind so that the glory of God could be shown, not through a miraculous fixing, but through us, loving our neighbor as God has first loved us. We show that love through things like developing technologies and designing our communities to give equal and just access to everyone. Thinking just about blindness, how many of our books, how much of our signage is printed in Braille or large print for those who can see large print? How many of our sidewalks and roadways are made for those who need to navigate with canes or guide dogs, wheelchairs, strollers, etc. This is part of creating just accessible communities. Now the other week at Post and Kill, we had a baptism, and this morning we have a baptism, and in each of these and in every baptism, parents and sponsors and we as the people together, the congregations, welcome them into God's family. We all promise to help in raising these children in the church and teach them all those churchy things. But we also promise to help these young siblings in Christ to grow in faith, proclaim Christ through word and deed, and to care for others in the world God has made, and to work for justice and peace in all the world. We follow Jesus proclaiming Christ. We show the glory of God. We are the hands and voice of the Spirit when we seek justice and full equity for all our neighbors, regardless of ability, race, gender, even criminal status, and so on. John's metaphors emphasize the separation between the Johannine community and the traditional synagogue, using language that made sense for that day. But for us this morning, we are called to use different words. And I say that fully aware of the language of that first verse of our first hymn. But made in, God's, made in the image of God, 
bearing God's likeness into the world, we are all the things that we are. And we, like God, are disabled, queer, a rainbow of skin tones. We each have dignity and worth, and so does that person who is not like us. And we are joined in baptism to Christ in death and resurrection, and to all of God's people across time and place for all of eternity. So join together. What language will we use to talk about one another and thus ourselves? What metaphors will we use to describe God's presence and activity in each life? Amen. <laughs>